0: Oh me, y'all pray for me. I need it. <laughs> First Peter chapter three, and uh, we're gonna finish up this chapter tonight. What? Okay. Hit record. That's all you gotta do. First Peter chapter number three tonight, and uh, we'll just take all the technology and throw it out the window. It'll be all right. <laughs> Tell them, sorry, you're going to have to come to church. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> oh, man, we're going to finish up this chapter tonight and uh, Lord willing and see what, what what we can find here. We've been in chapter three for several uh, Wednesdays now, and so uh, we're going to look here in verse number 13 and go through the end of the uh, chapter. So uh, if you found your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God tonight. Uh, First Peter chapter number three and verse number 13. The Bible says, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happier ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed shame that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in Prison, "...which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, wherein to even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word of God. You can be seated. Uh, If you've, if you have, uh, Been a dedicated Christian for any length of time, you uh, you know that there are all kinds of opposition that uh, you're going to face as a believer. And uh, Peter addresses some of that opposition in this portion of Scripture, and he tells us how to overcome the obstacles of. Opposition. Now, the principles that he shares with us—they are practical and uh, relevant for maturing in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, when you stand before God, I'm going to go ahead and tell you tonight that God is not going to be looking for decorations, diplomas, or degrees. But you know what He's looking for? He's looking for scars. He's looking for scars. Standing before God uh, will be an exciting time for some, but it will also reveal the struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil that has raged for years. And you know what? It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Uh, right now, it doesn't mean that it's easy, though. It doesn't really, you know, we, we can think about that and sometimes, you know, you can get in a predicament where something bad's going on and or something really negative's going on and you can think about a positive, but sometimes you gotta sit back and say, well, it don't really make it easier though. And that's, I mean, that's where we're at right here. You know, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter number six, verse 17, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What was he talking about? He was talking about what he said. I mean, he he had went through it and, uh, people could see and people, people knew that he had been persecuted. And, and so, uh, the thing about it is, uh, the life of a child of God is not an easy life. And, you know, I kind of think about the, uh, you can see people run a race or something. You think about the, uh, uh, the, uh, Olympics, for example, maybe, uh, uh maybe a high energy sport like uh running or or whatever that's called I, I, I you can look at me and tell i don't know anything about it but um uh you know those runners they will run and they will uh they will run their heart out they'll give 150% and uh you can see them at the end they'll put the first place you know, person up there in the second place and the third place. And one thing, that's, uh, one thing that's one of the things that's obvious when you look at them, they are wore out. Hey, they, they finished and everything's worn But you can tell that they hadn't just moseyed around. There's a reason why that man or woman was in first place. Uh, they're probably still trying to get their breath. They're probably sweating like crazy. One of their legs may be hurting. They may have some kind of scars on them. And that's kind of how the Christian life is. One of these days when we stand before God, it's all going to be worth it. But I'm going to tell you something. When we stand before God, we're going to have some scars. At least we should, according to the Bible. And so uh, let's dig into this for a few minutes and see what we can learn about overcoming the obstacles of opposition. That's what this entire epistle is about. That's what we're looking at in this series as we go through this epistle. And so I want you to notice, number one tonight, I want you to notice our refuge in suffering. Suffering is going to happen I think we're clear on that by now. It's not going to be an easy life. It's not uh, all things are not always going to go our way, but there is a refuge in suffering. We have a refuge in suffering. The fiery trials come, and when they do, we must remember something very important, and that is we are never alone. We're never alone. It's like Brother Wade was singing just a moment ago uh, that uh, he'll hold to our hand. and Hey, God's not going to forsake us. He's going to be there with us. He's with us in life. He's with us in death. He's, he's not going to go anywhere. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And thank God for that. You know, in those times, there's one who becomes more real to us during these times of suffering than any other time in our lives. But he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us when the waters of life are rough. But rather, he stands beside us with his arm around us and in perfect control. Hallelujah. Look at verse number 13 of our text. We find here, we're talking about the refuge in our suffering. Uh, Verse 13 says this, And who is he that will harm you? Who is he that will harm you? I want you to know tonight that the Lord is our deliverer. You think about this. You think about this. Who in the world is big enough to hurt you when you're walking close by the Lord's side? You think about that. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me i've mentioned it several times uh looking in revelation and looking through first peter and looking at the persecution hey the worst thing that this world can do to a child of god is send them to heaven put me in the express lane you just moved me up front (laughs) i mean really I know, I know we're talking about death right there, but honey, let me tell you, uh, for a child of God, death is just the beginning. Matter of fact, I saw a picture the other day and illustrated it perfect. It showed a faucet, and it showed one drop of water on the tip of that faucet, and it said, this is your life. And then underneath that picture was a picture of an ocean, and it said, this is eternity. How you think about that? That's the truth. A little boy seemed to be traveling alone aboard a ship years ago, and he had uh, he busied himself with some books and games and was happily content. As a storm approached, however, other passengers became fearful and uh, became apprehensive, and the boy seemed to be unaffected by the splashing waves and the rocking of the boat. And uh, finally, a lady grabbed the little boy's arm and she said, "'Son, aren't you afraid?' And the boy calmly looked up at her and said, no, my daddy's the captain of this boat and he's going to get me home safe. (laughs) I love that, I tell you. Uh, That's the way God is for us. And the Bible here says, uh, who is he that will harm you? That's an interesting thing. So the Lord is our deliverer, but look on at the rest of verse 13. the Bible says, who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? And so here's the thing. We make our Christian journey far more difficult than it should be. Our responsibility is obedience. God will take care of the security. You never have to worry about what's on the ditch as long as you stay on the road. Right? I know that's really practical. But it's the truth. Think about that. The Psalm 119 verse 133 says, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. You don't have to go down the road driving in the ditch. You don't have to in life. You don't, I really hope you don't going home. But you know, how many of us in our lives are sitting around, so to speak, driving in the ditch and making things hard? All God wants is us to obey Him. Read His Word. Apply His Word to our lives and watch Him take care of everything. So we see here, if you be followers of that which is good, but then I want you to notice in verse 14, we're talking about a refuge In our suffering. In verse 14, we find out that we can have joy. The Bible says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. See, we don't have to go through life dreading the obstacles of opposition. We can rejoice no matter what comes our way. Why? Because God is with us. You know, a great example of this is found in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, uh, starting in verse number 7, this is what we read. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me... That's probably the best illustration we can find or the best uh, it's just a wonderful example there in how Paul looked at the circumstances around him. He was OK because why God's grace was there. God's grace was sufficient. God told him he'd never leave him, he'd never forsake him. And Paul said, "Hey, that's good enough. I'm happy no matter what." As a matter of fact, in Philippians, you can read where he he uh, there's even a passage there that talks about how he was he was uh, he was content whether he was hungry, whether he was full, whether he was naked or whether he was clothed, whether he was warm, whether he was cold. He was always content. Why? Because Jesus was with him. Jesus was with him, and we can mark it down that the good and the bad are part. Of God's sovereign plan, and He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And I'm glad that we have a refuge in suffering tonight. We have a refuge. We've got a help. Thank God for that. And so we see, we have a refuge in suffering. But then, second, notice with me, we have a uh, uh, what our response in suffering should be. We have a refuge in suffering. So, now let's look at our response in suffering. Uh, let's just be real. It doesn't really matter what your outlook is on it. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody enjoys suffering. And it's these times, however, that will make us either bitter or better. We see that in the lives of a lot of people. We've, we see a lot of people They, they. you can take two people in church and they can encounter the same suffering the same persecution, the same issue or maybe the same trial or the tribulation in their life and one of them uh, will allow it to come between them and God they will allow them, themselves to get mad at God, they will leave the church they'll leave everybody that they've known and then, uh, then you have someone else that it just seems to draw them closer to God. What is the difference in that? Well, one of them got bitter and one of them got better, and so it's never god's will for that trial to make you bitter but when you just stand around and you get in these pity parties and you start looking around at everybody else and you start uh, you get that mentality of woe is me why is this happening you're going to get bitter but that is not god's will and you know we rarely get to choose the actions of life but we do get to choose our reactions. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, sanctify in this context means have reverence for, meekness and fear, gentleness and respect. Now, by fearing God, we we will be free from fear of our human persecutors. That's what the context of this verse is talking about. Uh, and by fearing God, uh, it, puts, it puts God in the proper place. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah and uh, other passages in the Bible, we find that uh, we are to fear God and nobody else matters. Right? God is in control. Uh, there in, uh, I believe, the book of Matthew or in the Gospels, Jesus even talks about how, hey, you should fear the one that has the power to not just destroy your body, but to destroy your body and your soul. See, man can only destroy your body. But God has the power to do both so many times we stand around and we're worrying and we're fearful of man and we're scared of man. And we let man, our fear of man, change all of our beliefs and change how we react to things. But hey, when in reality God should be the only, should be the only one that matters when it comes to those things. And so what we're talking about right here in verse 15 is the outcome of our lives will be a direct result of the inside of our lives. So here's what I'm talking about. What are you putting in your life on a daily basis? Because whatever you are putting in your life will come out in your, come out of your life during times of trials and tests and persecutions. In other words, when the rubber meets the road, you're going to tell people what you really are. When the going gets tough, and they say the tough get going. Well, here's the thing. Not everybody's really tough. You know what happens when the going gets tough? A lot of people just lay down and die. Well, they weren't tough to begin with, were they? Hey, when trials and tests and tribulation and persecution come, hey, they will show your true colors. And people will be watching. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So doing right today and continually keeping our lives right with God will produce the right outcome when the trials of life come. Now look at the remainder of verse number 15. The Bible says here, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now look at this. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What is this talking about, preacher? Well, if I could sum it up, I'd just say this. God wants to use you in your trials. God wants to use you in your trials. It's easy for us to lose focus in the middle of trouble. Peter had great faith, even uh, even uh, enough to walk on water. But what happened to him when he saw the waves and he heard the wind around him? He took his eyes off the master and began to sink. He lost His focus. And let me just tell you tonight, nobody has ever endured a fiery furnace like Jesus Christ Himself. You just imagine all of the thoughts that were in His mind as He made His way to Calvary and then hung on uh, the cross and bore the sins of the entire world. Jesus endured tremendous suffering. And yet, every word He spoke impacted those people around Him. One thief and we all know that one thief even trusted in Christ because of the words he spoke in that crucial hour now what would have happened if Jesus had have reacted the way most of us would have oh you, you talk about impacting people around you let things bad let bad things happen to you let suffering happen let persecution happen and you react The way God wants you to. That will be a testimony. And a witness like none other. If we could only have the discipline. To react the right way. Oh preacher. How do I have that? Well it goes back to what I was talking about just a minute ago. What do you put in your life? Right now. Because what you're putting in your life right now. Is what's going to come out. In times of trouble. And so I've often said it this way: what is down in the comes up in the bucket. Sorry, my brain is mush. I'm telling you. Just a little stressed out right now, but it's all good. Lord's taking care of business. I'm trying to learn how not to. Hey, just cause I'm up here don't mean I'm better than anybody else. I promise you that. I'm definitely not. Uh, But y'all just forgive me. That's right. What's down in the well will come up in the bucket. Doesn't matter how pretty that well is. It might just have a bunch of mud in the bottom of it. We need to remember that. So what what do we do? Well, we fill our heart and our mind with God and with God's Word so that in your times of difficulty, God can use you to help those around you. Amen. So look on to verse number 16. Let's see what else it says. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Here's the thing, y'all, just like we can't control the action sometimes, we can control the reaction and we can't control what others say about us or do to us, but we can control whether or not we have a clear conscience in the midst of criticism or mocking of the world and even sometimes so-called Christians, we can stay right in our relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you something. I heard this last week and I've never heard anything more accurate. And one thing I have preached, I've tried to preach and make it clear since I've been here. If you stay in the word of God, you'll have a balance with anything. It doesn't matter if you're told. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You will have a balance. The biblical approach is a balance. Now, in our churches, it's popular to swing one way or another. You're either going to get a crowd over here that's liberal and they think they can do anything that they want, and God's okay with all of it. And then you got a crowd over here that says, well, you can't stand in my pulpit because you got a beard. You know, we call them the legalists. We call these over here the liberals, okay? The liberals are the ones going to the bars and... You know, hey, I go drinking with my pastor on Fridays, you know. And then you got these guys over here, like I said, you ain't coming in my church because you got a beard or you got a hair. Your hair is is resting on your ears. Or you have wire-rimmed glasses. You know, people still hang on to that. You know why they hated that? I think it was because John Lennon had them. Man, that's a long time ago. People are still hanging on to that junk. You know why? Because they're legalistic. You know where the Bible is, though? The Bible is balanced right in the middle. Yeah. It's the truth. And I heard the best thing the other day. It really helped me. It really helped me. A brother, he's a preacher. He, he said this about it. I was listening to him. He said this about it. He said, if the liberal crowd calls you a Pharisee and the legalistic crowd calls you liberal, then you're right where you need to be amen and you know what i got to thinking about that and i've heard that from both parties so hallelujah lord i must be right where i need to be it's the truth i've got several in the legalistic camp that's told me i was a liberal and a heretic and i got several over here that's told me i was a pharisee so praise the lord i'll just say well that means i'm in the bible Anyways, <laughs> but here's the thing. We can't control what people say to us. We can't control what they do to us. But you know what? At the end of the day, we can control whether we have a clear conscience. In the midst, I'm telling you, we can stay in the right relationship with the Lord. Someone wisely said this. He said, the softest pillow is a clear conscience. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Ain't nothing like going to bed at night having a clear conscience. I tell you, guilt eats people up. It ruins people. It kills people. I'm glad. The Bible tells us having a good conscience. Look on to verse number 17. We get some assurance right here. The Bible says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Hey, if you suffer... If you are being persecuted, if you are uh, catching flack from the world, make sure that you're on the right side. I mean, that's just. Make sure they're doing it for the right reason. The Bible says hey, if you're suffering for well-doing, that's all right. Better to suffer for being right than being wrong. When we do what's right and we have a clear conscience, we can let the chips fall where they may. You know what? God's going to take care of the situation. I'm telling you, it's a joy tonight to know that nothing occurs by accident or without our Heavenly Father's knowledge. And He'll take care of us. Number three tonight, we find our reason for suffering. We do have a reason behind all of it, there is a reason. Uh, to all of this suffering we're talking about. Suffering for doing good. Nothing with God is an accident. Nothing is. I don't know who originally said this. I heard uh, Adrian Rogers say it, but has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? That ought to be some encouragement tonight. Nothing ever takes God by surprise. Nothing catches Him off guard. There's a reason for every event in our lives, even the trials. Most of us, you know, we can look back at a trial and we can see how God has used it to shape us in some manner that brought greater blessing as the result. Here's the thing. Look in verse number 18. We'll read down through verse 21. The Bible says, "...for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, God often uses things in our lives to help others see a bigger picture. We might wonder why God would require innocent little lambs to die at the Passover, but God was using it to picture the future Lamb of God who would die for the sin of the world. And it doesn't seem logical at the time, or it may not even seem humane at the time, but God's plan was perfect. He was showing us a type of what would come and we have to learn to trust that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and if we can focus on the bigger picture through our trials then we will be able to endure them with patience knowing that God will work out even these bad things for good that's the truth tonight Verse 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. And by the way, we'll probably come back and dig into these verses 18 through 21. There's some, there's some deep theology in them. And I didn't have time to study it that in-depth this week so but I want to come back there's some really interesting uh there's some really interesting topics right there but I want to stay on point tonight talking about suffering and these obstacles that we face in our life with opposition so uh anyways just keep your ears open for that okay might be a message later on but uh uh here's the thing I, I was reading that verse number twenty verse 22 who is talking about jesus who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of god angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him so what do we see there? he's got control he's in authority he is on un- he's got everything under control and when we weather the storms and the trials of life our influence is enhanced in the lives of those who witness our testimonies Now you think about this. I started, I was thinking about that and I I read that verse 22 and it reminded me of Stephen, the first martyr. And you know, Stephen had done nothing wrong, yet he was persecuted and killed. You know what he did? He told them the truth. I know somebody else that went and told him the truth and (laughs) they killed Jesus. They didn't kill him. He laid down his life, but you know what I mean? Why he told them the truth and they couldn't handle it. They didn't like it. Well, guess what? Stephen there that day he was telling them the truth. He was preaching to them, and and uh, he did nothing wrong. Yet he was persecuted and he was killed. You know, at face value, we may say, "Why didn't God intervene?" That's how people are nowadays, right? Oh, if, if God really loves us, how can He allow so much bad things to go on? Well. He works all things to good. A lot of our bad situations is because we got in them ourselves. Go, going back to Sunday's message, i got to keep going here, but going back to Sunday's message, Abraham and Lot, and, and uh, man, I keep digging on that. I'm probably going to preach on it again on, yeah, maybe two or three more times. I don't know. Don't worry, it won't be a repeat. There's just so much in that. And so, you know, whose, whose choice was it for Abraham to disobey? It was Abraham's. Whose choice was it for Lot to disobey? It was Lot's. God didn't make him go to Sodom. It was Lot. But you know what God did? God delivered him. What did God do to Abraham? God helped him. I mean, but, anyways, we think why didn't God intervene? Here's his, his messenger here, Here's his preacher, man. And he's sitting there and he's just telling them the truth. Why did God allow it to happen? Why didn't God stop those who brought such difficulty and death? Well, I'll tell you why. God had something bigger than just one life in view. God highly valued Stephen. We know that. Hey, in Acts chapter 7 verse 55, we read that Jesus stood when he entered heaven. It says it being full of the Holy Ghost, Stephen looked up and he saw he saw the throne and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. Could you imagine that he i i, I firmly believe Stephen didn't feel one stone. Now, I ain't got Bible for that, but I'm just saying, don't you think he's full of the Holy Ghost and looking up and seeing? I don't think I'd feel a thing, but you know what? Talking about the big picture, God knew that through his death, a young man would be reached by the name of Saul. Yeah. Who was consenting to the death of It was old Saul, later known as Paul. Oh, my goodness. When he spoke to Saul a short time later, Saul recognized God's voice and he had seen God in Stephen and was now more than ready to accept Him. And Saul, upon his conversion, turned the world upside down. God used the death of a martyr to bring that into play. And then you think about Paul. All of the missionary journeys. He literally, through the work of the Holy Spirit, He literally did turn the world upside down. Think about the prison accounts. Think about all the missionary journeys. Think about all the people that were affected by His life. And it all started that day with a preacher named Stephen. Wouldn't it be wonderful to look back from heaven and realize that the trial of your life helped someone else come to Christ or be helped in some way to reach others with the gospel. Hey, we see it all the time. We saw it yesterday at the funeral. Of Brother Dean, somebody gave their heart to Christ. That may have been what they needed. You never know. I'm telling you. We see life from the playing field, but... God's looking at it from the blimp. We need to keep that in mind when, they're, when we're in the middle of trial. Hey, because Jesus reigns from on high, and there is none other than Him, and none with greater power than Him, t- tonight the church should rejoice in His presence. We should rest in His promises, and we should rely on Him to power, uh, on His power to overcome all enemies. Warren Wearsby said this. He wrote this. He said, As Christians, we do not fight for victory, but from victory. The mighty victory that our Lord Jesus Christ won for us in his death, resurrection, and ascension. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, let's stand to our feet. Miss Dawn, you come play for us softly. How is it with you tonight? Are you going through some trials? you've got some heartache in your life, you need some help, you ought to come get on this altar and talk to Jesus, the one with all authority, the one that is in full control, always has been, always will be, the one that will never leave you, never forsake you. Bring your cares to Him tonight.